welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us for worship uh, this morning. Uh, continuing on in this series that uh, we started off a couple weeks ago, uh, we've been calling it When Music is Our Teacher, and we've been looking at different uh, songs. And it was one of these fun series where Mike just said, pick a song and talk about it. So, uh, But I wanted to open with our passage this morning is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. So if you would turn there with me, and if you would stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Paul writes, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we thank you for your ongoing presence with us and the beauty that you have placed us in. So we ask, Holy Spirit, for your eyes to see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'll be nothing but the tide. 
lunch this past Monday. Uh, something is not too out of the ordinary for us. It's uh, We've actually gone out to lunch thousands uh, of, of times. It's kind of, our, it's kind of our thing. It's kind of our favorite thing to do. And nothing too fancy, you know, flip-flops, shorts, t-shirts. She ordered soup and a sandwich. I ordered a tri-tip sandwich and fries. It was lunchtime at the Eldorado Hills Town Center. So the cafe was full of people eating lunch. Uh, many of them dressed much nicer than we were, uh, ordering much more sophisticated dishes. It was just, just another Monday lunch and a lunch-serving joint. And yet, not really. Because you see, Carol and I had a secret. This past Monday, Carol and I were celebrating our 30th anniversary. 30 years since, uh, since that. That is, uh, just for you guys to get noticing the guy in the background, that is Kent <laughs> with a flat top and a mustache. And so even we were just doing something that we had done so many times before, eating stuff that we had eaten so many times before. We ate a little slower. The sun shone a little brighter. The fountain in the background was a little more significant. The smiles a little deeper. The pauses in the conversation a little more meaningful. The sighs a little sweeter. It was just one of those moments where you just basked in the overwhelming goodness of it all. Which... Of course, anniversaries do that, big anniversaries especially. 
right? There's something about them that help you take a broader look at life, a long view, the kind of view that puts momentary experiences and circumstances in context, the bigger story, the bigger whole. And it's, of course, not just anniversaries that do this. Uh, actually, these moments come really more often than we realize, right? Maybe it's a moment in nature. Maybe you're spurred on by a scene in a movie or a good book or a song. Maybe it's in the company of good friends. Maybe it's in the company of your favorite pet. Maybe it's just the wind in your face or the blue in the sky. And suddenly you realize you get perspective. You become like this observer of your life as if it were a painting in an art museum and it hits you. Life is beautiful. Not because of the situation that you're in, not because of the path that you've traveled has been smooth or easy necessarily, not because you've gotten everything that you thought you ever wanted. I mean, our 30-year journey together has not been smooth, has not always been easy. We have not always been kind to each other. Yes, there have been days when we have gone to bed still angry at each other. We've had setbacks. We've had disappointments. We are nowhere near where those two 23-year-olds in that picture thought they were going to be 30 years ago. This is, of course, the truth for anybody, right? That has lived more than just a few years on this earth. We, all of us, have experienced enough tough stuff, enough difficult situations to be perpetually disappointed with ourselves, perpetually disappointed with our lives if we want to. And yet there's something, something about this song. There's something about the statement that it makes that just kind of sneaks past our circumstances, sneaks past our experiences, and it catches us, catches me, with the fact that it is true. That when we look at the whole of our lives, the truest thing about our life is that well, life is beautiful. When Mike originally had this idea for the series, he told us to go out and find a song that, in his word, just does something to you and go and preach about it. So I started going through my playlist, and of course there's a zillion songs that do something to me. And, and when I listened to this one, you know, again for the first time, maybe it's the season of life that we're in, maybe it's, you know, I don't know, but it just stuck with me. Find myself humming it over and over again, whether it was in the precious moments of life or in the tough moments of life. I couldn't get away from the fact that regardless of the situation that I found myself in, the refrain, the hook of the song still rings true. And not only was it true, but there was this feeling, there's this sense, this feeling that came with the realization of that truth. But as much as I loved the song and it resonated with that feeling, I was just having the hardest time, like, putting my finger on what it was. I mean, I know what it felt like. It was the feeling I felt at lunch with Carolyn on Monday. Or, really, it's the feeling that 
I get or we get in any one of those kind of moments. I could come up with a hundred images that described the feeling. I mean, they're all over the place in life. They're all over the place in the Psalms. You know, Psalm 16, when it says, Lord, you, are, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Or, of course, in Psalm 23, with the image of lying down in green pastures or being led by quiet waters. Or in Psalm 131, when the psalmist writes, I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Content. That's what feeling, the truth, that song stirs in me. It's this feeling of being content. Of course, as soon as I came up with that word, uh, another voice inside me started to argue back. No, that's not right. Content isn't right. Content is, content is too soft. It's, it's too passive. Like our, our culture has kind of trained us to look down on content. You realize that? I mean, imagine a presidential candidate standing up at a debate and saying, well, I'm really content with the direction of the country is going these days. Or a CEO standing in front of shareholders and saying, well, we're pretty content with our profits this past quarter. Or a coach saying, I'm content with the results of this season. Or a kid telling his parents, mom, dad, I, I'm really content with my grades kind of right where they're at. Like, it just doesn't sound right. Like, you know, we want you, to be, we want you to be excited or fired up or disgusted or disgruntled. But content? I mean, content doesn't get things done. Content doesn't bring about change. Content sounds like, well, it sounds like settling. It sounds like, eh. I mean, no one ever achieved greatness by being content. I mean, to say that I felt content as I was sitting with my wife for our 30th anniversary, you're kind of tempted to say, oh, it wasn't that great, huh? <laughs> but after we let that accusing voice kind of exhaust its arguments, we, we can see the lie. We can feel the lie. Content isn't passive. It isn't settling. It isn't meant. Content. Content is this overwhelming sense of being safe of having everything that we need. Content is a feeling that we spend thousands of dollars and countless hours and immeasurable energy trying to capture and bottle and, and package and keep. Entire industries in our culture leverage our hunger for, us to, for it to get us to buy stuff, to invest in stuff, to convince us that content is within our reach for the right price, of course. I mean, we may sneer and scoff at content on the outside, but on the inside, we're desperate for it. We long for it. We'd give 
anything, to be content. So it's shocking to hear Paul's words in this passage. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I mean, the audacity of that claim. Here we are scrambling and spending money and buying stuff and going places and all this stuff, trying to catch that one moment of realization, that, that awareness that life is beautiful. And Paul says he's learned how to be like that all the time. Like, really? All the time? Seems impossible. All the time. I mean, no matter, no matter the circumstances. Which really is, is kind of the big difference between us and Paul, right? It's the fact that somewhere along the lines, uh, line, we, we decided that content had to do with circumstances. Where we are, who we're with, what we're doing, what the weather's like, what the food tastes like. Which is, I think, why as a culture we kind of look down on the idea. You can, you can see why we are, in fact, appalled with the politician or the coach or the student that is content with their grades or win or loss, win or loss record or, or the state of the country. Because, of course, circumstances... No matter how good they are, I mean, they could always be better, right? But Paul here is saying that content isn't connected with circumstances at all. That really, the correct usage of content shouldn't be content with, but content in. Not content with, but content in. And you can actually feel the difference of just changing that one little word. Content with versus content in. Like feel the difference of saying I'm content in the present state of our country. Or I'm content in our win-loss record. I am content in the grades that I am getting. It changes everything. Actually, kind of heard this from a professional athlete at the end of last <coughs> basketball season. You know, this past year, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, much to Mike Lucan's glee, were considered one of the favorites to win the championship, Right? All year long, they were doing great. Everybody was excited. It was super fun. But they end up losing in the first round of the playoffs. And after the final game of their series, a reporter asked their best player if he considered this season a failure. And the player was stunned. I might even say he was offended by the suggestion and answered, my summary of his answer is, no, of course it's not a failure. Well, for days after that, you know, for those of us that uh, spend way too much time listening to sports commentators, uh, you heard this player getting ripped 
to shreds. How could he say that the season wasn't a failure? He didn't win the championship. He lost in the first round. I want my, I want my star athlete to be hungry. I need to be champions. Anything less should be unacceptable. They were appalled that he could be, in my words, of course, content losing in the first round. But if you know this person's story, you realize what he was saying. This player grew up as the son of undocumented Nigerian immigrants in Greece. When he was a little kid, he was one of those kids running around the streets of Athens selling knockoff sunglasses and watches to people to help the family buy food. And somehow he had made it from there to being one of the best players in the NBA, getting to play every day alongside other great players at the very, very highest level of the sport. Yeah, he had just lost in the first round of the playoffs in a year that he was hoping to win the president, the, the championship. But no, he wasn't going to look at this circumstance and let it taint the whole. Let it cloud his vision of the big picture. You see, contentment is not about the circumstances. But rather, as the song suggests, it is connected to the most important things. These most important things that, turns out, they're quite easy to forget. Which I guess is where circumstances and contentment do connect. Because while it may be true that circumstances cannot make or break our ability to be content, they can cause us to forget, to forget the most important things that are, in fact, the basis, the foundation for our contentment. It's like when you see a, a baby lying in a crib, right? I mean, a baby in a crib, it's one of those images, right? It's one of those pictures that we have of the beauty of life and the deep goodness of this world and how good God is and the deep power of love that flows in and around every human being. You know, it is one of those, it's the most important things. Unless, of course, the baby in the crib happens to be crying, right? Then, well, now it becomes an image of everything that is wrong with the world, the fallenness of humanity, the selfishness of people. How it's all going down the drain. There is no hope. There is no Santa Claus. There is no nothing. Just pain, misery, and suffering is all there is for me. And it's not that the crying has changed any of the fundamental truths of the universe, right? It's just that the circumstance of the crying has caused us to forget the fundamental truths, the most important thing. Which is why it is important to learn to see through the circumstances. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, Paul writes. The truth is that sustained contentment is actually a learned skill. It is a learned skill. There's a process 
of becoming the kind of person that can be content whatever the circumstances they may find themselves in. And this is really a counterintuitive, countercultural idea because for most of human history, we have been convinced, we have believed that contentment is something to be purchased. And this is not just in our 21st century consumeristic North American context. It was even true in Paul's day. It's, a, it's interesting to note if you do a quick uh, word search on contentment in the New Testament that every single reference to contentment in the New Testament comes up in the context of money or material things. It's like we've always thought that contentment is something that can be found instantaneously by just getting the right stuff. Feeling discontent, not able to see the beauty of life, well then buy this product, or buy this experience, or go get something that you don't have. That'll do it. Of course, it never does. It never has. Because, as we all know, it's not just the circumstances of not having what we want that get in the way of being content. But even when we do, for that fleeting moment, get that one thing that we have always wanted, we can still miss out on being content because we get worried that we might lose this thing that we finally got that we always thought we really wanted. I love the line in the middle of this song where he's, you know, he's, He's been painting this beautiful picture of sailing and drifting and dancing with his beloved. And then in the middle of, of the song, he says, I get crazy so afraid that I might lose you one fine day and I'll be nothing but a tired old man. And I don't want to be without you at the party. It's like even in the midst of pleasant circumstances, we can still miss out on contentment because our mind wanders. It wanders into worry and fear and forgets the most important things. Content cannot be purchased, but it can be learned. We can learn to remember the most important things even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, which of course this morning we don't have time to talk through what that entire process of learning how to be content in every circumstance will look like. But I think it is safe to say that part of that process is going, to, is going to involve experiencing difficult circumstances, right? Like if we want to be able to be content even when you don't have, even when you have very little, well part of that is going to have to experience, you know, having very little. If you want to be able to Learn how to be content even when you don't get, get what you want for dinner. That means that, you know, there's going to be times when you have to not get what you want for dinner. This is where the discipline of fasting can be very, very helpful in that through fasting, we voluntarily step into uncomfortable circumstances. And in those times, we can be attentive and be purposeful and we can be present, you know, in practice, keeping in mind the most important things, the things on which our contentment is really based. Of course, 
We don't have to purposely fast to experience uncomfortable circumstances, right? I mean, most of us have already experienced our share of difficult circumstances. Some of you might be in the midst of some difficult circumstances even now. And it's not like we didn't try to be content in those difficult circumstances. It's not like we didn't try to live with the sense that life is beautiful. Even when everything in our life didn't feel beautiful. But sometimes it just feels impossible. Sometimes all I can see is this unpleasant circumstance that I happen to be right now that makes me angry or it makes me sad or it makes me afraid. Sometimes all I can focus on is what I don't have, what I didn't get. Which is natural. I mean, it's human nature. And on our own strength is where we'll be stuck forever without Christ. With Christ, though, Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's easy to forget that this iconic verse that gets thrown around and put on t-shirts and bookmarks and posters and all this stuff isn't about building great organizations or healing uncurable diseases or accomplishing great feats or performing great miracles. The context for this verse is the ability to be content in whatever the circumstance. I can be content in every circumstance through him who gives me strength. Now, it is strength that we must receive. We have to be open-handed in our acceptance of Christ's abiding presence with us, even when we might be tempted to be angry for not getting what we want. We have to allow the truth of Christ to permeate our thought life, to become the anchor of our attention so that the power of his presence, what he has done, what he is doing, can permeate our minds, soak into our feelings and provide, provide which is what is actually quite logical rationale for being content. You see, all the important things that form the foundation for the beauty of life, the most important truth of them all is God's provision of strength for us. God's grace for us. If we forget about that, if we forget that most important thing, well, then our circumstances are all we have, right? I mean, apart from God's strength available to us through faith in Christ, I mean, to ignore the circumstances and just go drifting or sailing or even worse, dancing. 
I mean, to not be constantly preparing ourselves for the inevitable day that our loved ones leave us and we're left to be nothing but tired old whatevers showing up all alone at the party. Apart from Christ, to ignore all of that would be irresponsible. It would be negligent. But of course we don't have to live that way. Because of all the foundational truths upon which life is built, the most important of them all is the fact that holding it all together, sustaining it, is a God who loves us and is always desiring us to give us everything that we need to be able to live content. Content, whatever the circumstance. This is the prevailing truth behind all the images of contentment that rattle around in my brain that we see in the Psalms. We can lie down in green pastures, walk beside quiet waters, be still like a weaned child at their mother's breast because God is our God, our shepherd, our provider, our portion and our cup forever. He has always been faithful. He is always good. And yes, we live in a fallen world where because of human selfishness and carelessness and just plain foolishness, sometimes the circumstances of our lives are unpleasant. But however unpleasant they may be, they are not the truest thing about life. Christ is. His goodness, his faithfulness, his love for us are the truest thing, the most important thing. It is he who makes life beautiful. Would you pray with me? And so Jesus, we pray that you would be in our hearts, in our minds. That the reality of you would always be at the forefront of our thinking and our feeling. That we would be able to see our lives, the lives of the people around us through the lens of your goodness and your love. And that that would be the sustaining force for our life. Because we do live in a beautiful world and well, every breath that we take is, is in fact beautiful because of you. Praise in Jesus' name.